my gosh, it's already episode five! Ah, I'm Jamie and this is actually it's Phytoplankton Planet Ocean. We've been working our way through six science lessons in oceanography. How's your National Science Week going, Lachlan McKinnon from GoToQ Remote Sensing? It's pretty great and extra busy, but I'm pumped to be back on the podcast. Cool. So Lachlan, what's on for today? Well, this episode is a physics lesson, specifically the physics of light in water. Oh man, you know what? In high school, I always felt like physics was the most intimidating of science subjects, and I did not pick it. No, it's fun. It's really just applied mathematics, nothing too scary. No, exactly. Maths was not my strong point. I was early to drama, extremely late to maths. Possibly I even scheduled my violin lessons at the same time as maths on purpose. No, you never. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Actually, when I first met you, I thought you'd be a really good boyfriend because you could do all my maths-related daily tasks, like add up my grocery bill or do my taxes. Yeah, no, I can't add anything up in my head. I'm terrible (laughs) at that, you know. Yeah, I do. But I can write you an algorithm. That is all. Yeah, yeah. That is something that I came to learn. And the other thing I think I'll learn from you is that you don't need to be uh, do all the maths in your head kind of maths whiz to be good at physics. Yeah, physics is the study of how matter, that's the stuff we're made of, like little teeny tiny atoms, and how they interact with the universe around us. So physicists think of the world in terms of forces and energy, and mathematics is kind of the language we use to describe that physical world. Uh, for example, I have here a hot coffee. Oh, no, well, no, it's empty. Fake coffee. Fake hot coffee. <laughs> but imagine there's a hot imagine coffee. this is a hot coffee, and eventually it's going to go cold, right? Right. So in the study of physics, we could describe how long it would take for the heat energy to be lost from this cup, eventually end up at room temperature. But to do that, we would have to know something about the system. That's the system, meaning the coffee cup and the beverage inside and the room we're sitting in. And eventually, once we have that information, we can create a mathematical model that describes precisely how long it would take this cup of coffee to go cold. That's physics, baby. (laughs) Well, I mean, we've got a toddler and I'm thinking it's his fault that my coffee goes cold, not physics, but okay. (laughs) Cool. So I'm willing to face my fears today and delve into some physics with you and our very special guest, Ryan Vandermulen. Hey, Ryan. Welcome back. Hey, ahoy, ahoy. Thanks for inviting me back. Super stoked to be here. welcome. So listeners at home, you may remember Ryan from season one when he talked to us about his life as a swashbuckling oceanographer and one of the team of scientists working on NASA's PACE mission. It's so good to have you back again this year, Ryan. You guys know that our first question on the podcast is always, what did you want to be when you were 13? But you've both been on the show before and we've heard what you wanted to be. Ryan wanted to be a coroner, duck, (laughs) and Lachlan wanted to be in the Navy. Neither of things worked out. But this really worked out for me because now I have two friends to teach me physics. Woohoo! But if you do want to go back and hear more about how I went from high school emo kid to working at NASA, then go back and listen to episode five from season one. Okay, guys, let's get into some physics. Okay, well, this is an oceanography podcast and Ryan and I are oceanographers. So our lesson today is on the physics of ocean optics or how light behaves in water which is our specialty. Yeah, you'd be surprised that most of what we do comes down to understanding three important concepts. That is light scattering, absorption, and fluorescence. Okay, guys, let's start with a game. You two know that I'm a drama teacher, so sometimes I start my lessons with an imagination story. So get comfy, everyone. Lie on the floor if you like. Close your eyes. Take a few deep breaths in. Deep breath in. Deep breath out. And imagine this. You're getting ready to play a game of 
dodgeball. There's an empty hall and all the balls are lined up, one, two, three, four, five, ready to play. Right now, there is no one on the court to hit with the dodgeball. But you throw the dodgeballs across the room anyway and they just travel straight through. And this is what light does when it's travelling through a vacuum. There are no particles or other stuff to hit, so light travels straight through. Now, some players drop into the dodgeball court and you start to play for real. You're throwing dodgeballs like a champ. Some miss, some travel straight through, but others hit their target and bounce off the players in all directions. This is what happens to light when it travels through water, especially if it has other particles in it. Now, let's imagine for a moment that you drop some other particles into a glass of water. Let's say milk, which even though it's a liquid, it has a bunch of teeny tiny fat particles in it. So as you add some, you'll notice that the water begins to look slightly white. Some light will sail right through in a straight line like before, but other light will hit the milk particles and get bounced or scattered around. It's what physicists call elastic scattering, and for all intents and purposes, it's just like a rowdy game of dodgeball. Yeah, milk is a great example because it's white. Things that are white scatter all of the light. Yeah, you may have heard people say that white isn't a color, it's all the colors. That's totally correct. You know, what we see as white may appear colorless, but it is in fact all the colors of the rainbow simultaneously being scattered back to our eyes. Right. Okay, cool. Light scattering, everyone, just like dodgeball. Yeah. So you can all open your eyes again now. And if you want to try an experiment at home with milk and water dodgeball, go download our episode five resource pack from gotocurious.com. And there's a link to a video that will help you out. Hey, have you guys seen the Adam Sandler movie, Billy Madison? Classic Sandler. So, you know, the dodgeball scene where Billy gets hit by the ball and then he goes back to Miss Lippy and she says to him, dodgeball time is Miss Lippy's special time. And he has to go back and play dodgeball again, right? Yes. Oh, Doyle rules. Doyle rules. (laughs) But if you haven't seen this movie, that's okay. The basic plot is that an adult man goes back to school and tries to complete grades one to 12 in two weeks to convince his dad that he's mature enough to take over a multi-billion dollar company. The important message for us is that Billy plays dodgeball. So, okay, Billy goes back to the dodgeball game after getting out. And this time, instead of getting hit, he catches the ball. Ah, that would be absorption. A what, what? Absorption. So Lachlan said milk is great for scattering because it's white. It wants to scatter all the light so that our eyes see its white color because white is made up of all the colors in the light spectrum that we can see. However, most other particles will do a combination of absorption and scattering so that our eyes see their complex color. Let's go back to our game of dodgeball. Light is a spectrum, so if you're throwing a dodgeball, they need to be all colors of the light spectrum. The white milk will scatter all of the colored balls back, making it look white. But if your players are actually a phytoplankton, say called trichodesmium, which we see as red, they will want to catch all of the colored balls except the red ones, which bounce off them. Okay, so trichodesmium, which we see as red, absorbs all the colors in the light spectrum except for red, which it scatters or bounces back, meaning our eyes see it as red. Exactly. Got it. (laughs) So question, if white scatters all of the light, What does black do? So it absorbs. Uh, Have you guys heard of Vanta Black? I have actually heard of that, but I'd love for you to explain it to me anyway, please, Ryan. All right. Vanta Black is one of the world's darkest substances, absorbing like 99.9% of the light that touches it. Now, Vanta actually stands for vertically aligned nanotube arrays, and it's 
basically a standing forest of billions of super small tubes that work to trap any light that hits it and bounce it around until all that energy is eventually dissipated into heat. This might seem just like a simple novelty, but it's actually a pretty useful substance that can help, you know, for example, prevent stray light from getting into a space telescope. Yeah. Actually, can I shout out to my favorite podcast that isn't this podcast? No. Yes. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. Stuff You Should Know. S-Y-S-K have a great episode on Vantablack and we'll put a link to it in the resource pack for you guys. Yeah, we will. It's really actually a very good episode, pretty in-depth if you want to learn more about Vantablack. Okay, so I think I have this basic understanding of what scattering and absorption is now, but I have a couple of questions. Why do creatures like phytoplankton uh, scatter and absorb light? Is it just about the colour or is there some other reasons? As Lachlan pointed out, some phytoplankton are catching specific colors of light and deflecting the rest. That's a great question as to why, you know, phytoplankton can't actually conscientiously select their favorite colors of light because they're mostly free floating and have no brains. But within each phytoplankton cell are a series of light harvesting pigments that help them absorb specific colors of sunlight and convert that light energy into chemical energy through photosynthesis. Now, one pigment common to all plants is called chlorophyll, and it absorbs red and blue light very efficiently, but it does not absorb green light. Thus, we see plants as green because it is the only color of light remaining to be scattered back to our eyes. But chlorophyll isn't the only pigment absorbing light. There are some pigments that have other functions. Some pigments are specifically meant to capture other colors of light that are less utilized, and there are other pigments, for example, that can prevent cells from becoming sunburned. So every phytoplankton cell is absorbing and scattering light in a very unique way, depending on a distinct combination of what pigments it contains, uh, as well as its size and shape and what they're made out of. Okay, so scattering and absorption of light in the ocean. Why is that so important for scientists? Now, first of all, while it is no Vanta Black, the ocean still absorbs the greatest amount of solar radiation that reaches the Earth's surface. Now, this is important because virtually all of the energy used by any living organism on Earth, including us, started out as sunlight absorbed by phytoplankton, land plants, or other organisms that have this miraculous ability to convert light energy into a form that we can use. So phytoplankton in the ocean play an enormous role in the history of the energy cycling on our planet. And without absorption and scattering, life as we know it would not exist. Now, to be just a little less dramatic, to me, one of the most exciting advances in oceanography has been the ability to measure changing color over wide swaths of the ocean using Earth-orbiting uh, satellites that measure light reflected from the surface layer of the ocean. The manner in which the light is scattered and absorbed in the ocean changes the color of the water, like we talked about, which, among other things, directly indicates changes in the global distribution of phytoplankton. Thanks to absorption and scattering, we can see how phytoplankton populations bloom, collapse, and change over time in any area, which has really revolutionized how we think about the upper ocean. It's just reminding me of episode two with Deb and Colleen, where we talked about the food web. We talked about photosynthesis a little bit and how phytoplankton are primary producers. So light is so important for these little creatures because it means they can be the primary producers for the ocean and for us as well. And also the light is important for monitoring them and detecting them. If I got that right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. Good. I was like, the silence makes me feel like I didn't. But... <laughs> yes. 
Good. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Lachlan's response to everything. Yes. <laughs> Smithers, I'm home. Already? Yes. yes. <laughs> All right, folks at home, time to pause for a science activity. My lovely listeners, please go to our website, go to curious.com and find the episode five, Let's Get Physical resource pack. Find the absorption and scattering activity and get to work. So pause now and play again when you're done. Pause, pause now. now. I just keep imagining a cat's paw in my head. That's the problem. Wow. Okay. Hey, and we're back. If you just did the absorption and scattering activity, I guess you are now basically a world-leading physicist. Am I right? Yeah, almost. Don't forget about fluorescence. Okay, so glow sticks are the main thing I think about when I start sort of thinking about things that fluoresce. So when you take them out of the packet, they're this matte-coloured tube, but and then you crack them and they start to glow. Yeah, glow sticks are an excellent example of chemical fluorescence. So in a glow stick, there are two tubes, an outside plastic tube, which has a fluorescent dye, and a substance called tert-butyl alcohol. Oh, is that like hand sanitizer? No, it's not that type of alcohol. You do not want to get this on your hands at all. Okay. Anyways, on the inside of the plastic tube, there's another very fine glass tube with a chemical called hydrogen peroxide inside. And that's the one you release when you crack the tube. Okay, so bleach, right? Yeah, but again, you you don't want to get this stuff on your hands. So don't chew the tubes, people. Don't cut the tubes (laughs) open, please. (laughs) Don't do anything that's not on the packet. Yeah. (laughs) Please. Follow the instructions. (laughs) So, yeah, when those materials combine, they cause a chemical reaction, which which makes the electrons in the dyes excited. Now, excited electrons are a bit like toddlers. They bounce around and around and have heaps of energy. Anyway, some of that energy escapes and gets emitted as light. And the glow stick glows. (laughs) Yeah, that's called chemiluminescence. And unfortunately, it's not the type of fluorescence that's particularly important for oceanography. Okay, so what type of fluorescence is important for oceanography? We're interested in the fluorescent qualities of chlorophyll. Ah, chlorophyll. More like borophyll. More Billy Madison, you guys. Stop looking at me, swan. (laughs) (laughs) I think probably if you're a kid listening, you may not have seen this movie. So I'm sorry. Maybe you should not see this movie till you're older. Maybe just wait. So Ryan, tell us what we need to know about chlorophyll, borophyll and fluorescence. Now, as a budding physicist, it's important to remember that Energy cannot be created or destroyed, right? The first law of thermodynamics. So we already know that phytoplankton are obtaining energy from the sun, and they convert that light energy into usable chemical energy with the help of our supermolecule, chlorophyll. Remember those excited electrons in the glow stick that we just mentioned? Well, electrons within the chlorophyll molecule are also being excited when sunlight hits it. And something needs to happen you know, with, with all this energy, it can't stay bundled up for too long. A phytoplankton cell will work to store this energy so it could do cool things like grow, divide, live, etc. But in some cases, if the cell can't use all that energy, well, they can't destroy it. So they actually release it back again. Now, when this happens, because some energy has been lost to heat and other processes within the cell, the light that is released is actually a little different. Since it lost some energy, the light is emitted at a longer, lower energy uh, wavelength than when it was first absorbed, meaning literally that they glow a faint shade of red. 
Now, unlike the chemical glow stick, phytoplankton need light for this reaction to happen. So once the light is gone, fluorescence stops. So it's not easy to detect and measure fluorescence unless you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. Okay, guys, so now we've learned the basics of light scattering, light absorption, and biological fluorescence. Ryan, you said at the start of the show that much of what you guys do comes down to these three concepts. So how do you use those concepts to help you do ocean science? So even though we're only examining the physics of light moving around in the ocean, it holds a direct link to the microscopic composition of the ocean. The quality of light is being changed as it is absorbed, scattered, and fluoresced about. And this is really useful because by measuring these unique properties of light physics, we can gain some insights as to what types of phytoplankton and other materials are in the water. One really important way that we use uh, and apply this knowledge is to help us understand, monitor, and predict environmental change. Since phytoplankton depend on sunlight, water, and nutrients to survive, any changes to the ocean environment can have a significant impact on phytoplankton populations and thus the quality of light in the ocean. This can serve as an alert system to Earth scientists, letting them know that conditions are changing there. Then by comparing these trends to other measurements, such as temperature, you know, we can learn more about how phytoplankton may be contributing to and are affected by climate and environmental change. All brought to you by these three fundamental properties of absorption, scattering, and fluorescence. All right. So if chlorophyll did not have fluorescent properties, it just didn't do any of that stuff, what impact would that have on creatures like phytoplankton? Only a specific amount of energy is required for photosynthesis to occur. And getting more energy than that really isn't helpful. In fact, it can be harmful and actually damage the cell. Think about how we get energy by eating. We can't just continuously scarf snacks 24-7. And if we did, our body would, you know, have a means of expelling that excess energy. In other words, you barf if you take too many snacks, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, these phytoplankton usually aren't able to move around. So they are essentially just stuck eating sunlight all day. And they need some way for their body to barf sunlight essentially. And they're going to cook themselves, right, Ryan, if they don't do that. Yeah. So if I'm like looking at a tree in my garden, I could just imagine it's just going, (laughs) 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 oh God, why is Next time you look at a beautiful forest scene, just think of that. Well, why is fluorescence important for scientists? What does it help you guys find out? Yeah. So to pick up from where Ryan left off, if a phytoplankton is doing nothing but barfing, I mean, you know, fluorescing, It means that they aren't using the energy to feed themselves. If we can measure the faint glow that phytoplankton give off when they are fluorescing, we can gain insight into how efficiently they are using sunlight that they absorb. Remember, photosynthesis requires more than just sunlight. We also need nutrients in the mix, just like plants in the garden need to be fertilized. If the ocean doesn't have the essential nutrients needed for growth, then the phytoplankton gets stressed out and you can actually measure this. By and large, uh, we want a healthy phytoplankton because they support a healthy ecosystem and a healthy world. Nice. So for kids who want to be good at physics, even maybe they want to become a physicist, what do you think are the top three qualities you need to have or to work on to be good at physics or become a physicist? Uh, Obviously, the math aspect is important, but beyond that, the two 
most important things you need to be a physicist are curiosity and passion. These qualities will ultimately drive you to learn the skills that you need to know. And all you need to do is remember that nothing is out of reach for your magnificent brain. Yeah, well, I would say a bit like when I was talking about the coffee cup earlier in the show, if you like puzzles, then you're probably going to like being a physicist or maybe being a scientist and more generally. But when we think about the world in terms of physics, we kind of have to break it down into little pieces of what we call a system. So if you can break it down, find all the pieces of the puzzle, and then figure out how it all fits together, that's doing physics. And I guess throwing some math to help you explain what's going on. So work on your curiosity, work on your maths, big one, work on your passion, <laughs> and also on puzzles. So if you've got puzzles like laying around, go and give them a, a, go, a go and you um, start getting those skills together to be a good physicist. Passionately do the puzzles. Passion. <laughs> also, if you want to be a dancer, you should, you got to have some passion. All right. What about the two of you? What are your favorite things about physics, given that that's what you decided to do with your lives? I just think that knowing about how everyday things work is the coolest part. Yeah, I agree with Ryan. Almost everything can be explained with physics. And as we're speaking about light, here's a really cool one. So Next time you're outside and you look up at a star in the sky, I want you to think about the photons. That's the little light energy particles and how far they travel through the vacuum of space before they finish their journey when they are absorbed by the retina, that's the light detector, in the back of your eyes. So if we pick just one star that most people might be familiar with, that's Betelgeuse. It's the red star in the constellation Orion. A photon from Betelgeuse travels for 548 years, which is about... I've got my math right, which we know can mess up, yeah. <laughs> 5,500 trillion kilometers before it reaches your eyes here on Earth, and that's where it finishes. Pretty cool, hey? It's very cool. And finally, the most important, all-encompassing question for this year, National Science Week 2021 is all about food. So what's your favorite food, Ryan and Lachlan, and how can you connect it back to phytoplankton? Go, Ryan. Hands down, I have to say I'm a fiend for Korean food, so I'm going to have to go with kimchi. If you haven't had kimchi, it is a spicy fermented cabbage that you can put on pretty much anything to make it 100% better. Now, traditionally, kimchi is fermented with peppers, salt, garlic, ginger, and importantly, shrimp paste. Shrimp can eat phytoplankton directly from the water, or they can wait for a slightly larger zooplankton to eat and poop out the phytoplankton, leaving a tasty snack on the seafloor for the shrimp to eat. And eventually that recycled poop contributes to an ingredient that makes your food taste 100% better. And just for the record, Ryan says he eats food with poop in it. <laughs> I've actually never had kimchi. Have you had kimchi? Yeah, I've had kimchi. It's really oh, good. I've never had it. I'm going to have to go mm, try it. It sounds cabbage. very delicious. But Lachlan's allergic to shrimp. So how have you had kimchi? Probably had it and had like a stuffy nose afterwards and been like, why Why am I feeling like a bit itchy? And if Lachlan right. sounds stuffed up on the podcast, which is probably likely, like I it, do now. he's probably eaten sh some shrimp paste or kimchi or had fish and chips or something. <laughs> Lucky, what about you? What's your favorite Okay. Food? So favorite food. Well, you know, I like a lot of different foods from around the world, but I can't go past a good, an emphasis on the good, old-fashioned meat pie. And I've been thinking, how do I link that back to the ocean and phytoplankton? So I'm going to go a bit more broad scale here. As we know, the oxygen in the air we breathe, uh -huh. about one in every two breaths, the oxygen's from phytoplankton. So the guy making my meat pies, breathing in the oxygen. <laughs> so thanks, phytoplankton, for helping my meat pie be made. <laughs> Mwah. So thanks so much, Lachlan and Ryan, for joining me today on the podcast. Um, 
not so scared of physics anymore. It's actually kind of fun. We get to talk about stuff barfing light and dodgeball. It's actually not so bad. So don't forget at home, if you're listening during National Science Week 2021, we are giving away an Oculus Quest VR headset to one of our lucky fans. This is a big prize, you guys. Find out how to enter the competition on our website, gotocurious.com or our socials at gotocurious. We want to know from you in 50 words or less, how will you use your VR headset to excite somebody else about science? All right, next episode is the final for season two. And we're bringing you five do-it-yourself, do-them-at-home, do-them-at-school oceanography experiments. So we'll see you then. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Actually, It's Phytoplankton is a Go to Curious production proudly supported by a National Science Week grant from the Australian Commonwealth Government. Thank you to all our expert guests collaborating on Season 2, and special thanks to co-presenters Ivona Setinich and Lachlan McKinna, who work behind the scenes as script consultants. The series is prepared and written by me, Jamie Cool. I compose our theme music and create the resource materials on our website, gotocurious.com. Our fabulous logos are designed by Hannah at Boone Creative.